0: Leron is a friend of mine from my law school days. He is currently reviewing for the 2021 bar examination. Leron has the unique and difficult experience of having attended UP Law and Ateneo Law before graduating in Beda Law School. He is taking time out of his bar review to share his valuable insights about law school and life in general to those who might benefit from the breadth of his experience. Now this episode will be slower paced than usual. So if you're accustomed to a quicker pace, feel free to increase the playback speed in the podcast application of your choice. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Leirón, welcome to my podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh... Yeah, Le- <laughs> Leron, do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners before we jump into the thick of it?
1: OK, um, I am Leirón Martiha. Um, I met Rami in uh, law school, and for a while we also debated. We were part of the same club. And I'm currently reviewing for the very first digital bar exam.
0: Uh, well, exciting stuff.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, a lot of <laughs> things are, a lot of things are uh, very raw. That's all I'm going to say. Like, like, a lot of things seem, like, ideally it might work on paper, but I guess we'll find out. This November, how things go down.
0: You need to invest in like a, the whatever the premium version of Norton antivirus is, you know, just to yeah. re- no, My solution was um, I bought a laptop and I'm not touching it until like a
1: month from the bar. Like it's mm. not used for anything else, it's, it's, it's clean.
0: So, like a month <laughs> before, it's not installed. Because, you know, you never. I don't know if that's an expression of the level of precaution that you're bringing into the bar exam. Inspiring. Or if it's just how little you trust yourself. <laughs> to keep no, that laptop yeah. Yeah,
1: I don't <laughs> trust a lot of things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Leiron, uh, you have a particularly interesting journey to uh, taking the bar exam. And so that's why I invited you onto the podcast. And that'll become apparent as we go through this podcast. So, let's start with the basics. Why did you want to become a lawyer? Um, ever since I was a kid, I was just always kind of told that
1: I should be a lawyer. And, you know, we don't have anybody in our family who was, like, a lawyer or, like, taught law or, like, is a retired justice. Like, nobody was remotely connected to the legal profession. And again, like, if you grow up, I think, that kind of kid, like, you're argumentative, you're smart mouth. I think the, the thing that most grown ups will tell you is... So that just kind of stuck with me for <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> like
1: a really long time. Like, you know, you grow up hearing that, you start believing, oh maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. And um, um I was supposed to be I was supposed to be a doctor, actually, like my dad. But uh mm-hmm. I I don't like the sight of blood. So that's not very good for the profession. <laughs> so I was like, oh, to too low it is. So, you know, I walked into it. With no, no foreknowledge, no, I didn't have like a preconceived notion of what uh, being a lawyer in the Philippines was like. I mean, you see a lot on TV, but different jurisdictions but like different rules. So yeah, that's really a why. Like, I, f- I find the question, why one wants to be a lawyer, like, a, it's an evolving topic, isn't it? Like, it changes from time to time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes you don't want to be one. <laughs> <laughs> when it's like when when, it, when studying gets very very hard, that's when you're like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Like, you get you get those kinds of thoughts. But well, I don't know about you, but I got those kinds of thoughts. But um, yeah, I think the answers I had, I didn't have like an answer before, and now it seems like, if you pay enough attention to everything happening around us, lawyers are precisely what we need. <laughs>
0: yeah so you know like uh the legal legal knowledge has to be more ubiquitous mm, Probably
1: there just needs to be like a broader i feel like there needs to be a broader um bank of ideas from like different people so i think i would that for me that would be my answer now i want to be a lawyer now because it seems like the right time to 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 fight for all of the for justice and equality and all that, as cheesy as that might sound.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh, your 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 journey uh, through law school was a particularly difficult one. So yeah, uh, yeah do, you, do you mind like uh, telling listeners a little bit about like this very unique experience you had? Uh, um, well, I started 2012. So right after,
1: right after college, um, I took like a one-year master's course and then um, I applied for the La'e and I took it with like my batch mates and all that. And I remember very, very well the, the feeling of like finding out you passed the law aptitude exams for, for UP law. And I was in Nashua. I was in Nashville <laughs> in um, And I got a call from my, from my friend Hansley. He, he teaches in Ateneo now. Um, and he's like, he took the la'e with us and he's like, Hey, we, we just passed the la'e, you know, congrats. In like a Nash-o. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. like,
1: Uh I got everybody's attention because I never expected to pass. I mean, I hope, I hope I would pass, but I knew that the, the selection process was very rigorous. So mm-hmm. um, immediately, immediately after passing the la'e, you know, um, I had to make plans so you know after getting over getting over all of the elation and i told my parents about it and they they were really glad that um i passed up law for one because you know it was the college of law and another one is that um the cost was not so prohibitive compared to um the other law schools so it was uh, we could we could like pay for law school in such a way that it wouldn't hurt so much. So that meant that um, whatever budget my family had, they could like allot it to like um, making sure that I make it through. So I'm just pointing that out because I want people to know that um, when when I was in UP law, I had like, I was studying law under the best conditions possible. Like I had my own place, had my own car, um, I had, like, enough groceries. Like, I didn't have to worry about anything. And I just needed to, like, study. Um, so, UP Law is hard. It was very, very hard. <laughs> it, was, it was nothing like I've ever experienced. And, um, like, th- thinking back to it now, because, like, it's been 10 years. So, uh, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. been te- wow, it's been 10 years since UP Law. But it's been 10 years since UP Law. And the entire experience was just so, I think humbling comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, my block was great. You know, Everybody was so supportive of one another and we would stay out all night studying, you know, doing everything that we were told to do. You know, All of the advice that upperclassmen give you, the graduates give you, all of the advice that um, people who have passed this subject in like one take, you take all of the advice you'll never run out of advice in law school and then when my first semester grades came i just i bombed so hard it was the hardest bomb ever like every subject that i needed to pass because back then in up law there was like a three strike rule Mm -hmm. so for your entire stay in law school you were only allowed to fail three times and then on top of that you had to meet like a qpi requirement so Mm -hmm. But there's a way cuz there's a way cuz to fail in UP law where no matter what you do like even if you're still technically safe, it's like it's dead and that's exactly what happened to me like i failed persons i failed consti and i failed like all of the little subjects too like legal history i failed like the only the only class i passed was was crim <laughs> so every subject that i needed to pass i had failed and then, so, you take removal. So, we took removal exams. I still failed. And I remember thinking, that's, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. Because it's never happened to me. I had never been accustomed to failure until then. So, what? I was, like, 21. 21 at the time. And you just imagine, like, you start studying at, like, what? At prep. Prep until high school. You know, you're, like, you're 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 a relative achiever. You know you're not you're not a genius, but you're not dumb either. You know you, mm-hmm. you've got you've got a little you got a little bite to you. You get used to that. You get used to this. You got this bloated feeling. The parang okay, as long as I work hard, I can do it. And then we go through college, and you know you know what college was like. They basically just yeah. you know they they convinced us we were special. You know it's true. It's true. <laughs> It's true in the mind that we're special. It's just that that's not a substitute for real work. So mm-hmm. I needed to learn that lesson very, very much. That was like a very overdue lesson. So I, I failed below so hard. Just one semester. I just lasted one sem. And I remember the process was that you had to, you had to, you had to get your exit form. So you had to go to the registrar. And for, for anyone like... I'm really sorry if you need to know this information, but um, there can only be one copy of your transcript of records, okay, for, like, for life. There can never be more than one copy. So the exit form, the exit process, when you fail out of the College of Lois, you need to physically get your grades, and your grades are there for good. Like It's, it's like on record, so that kind of hurt. <laughs> I'm just saying mm-hmm. it kind of hurt. To like receive that, to receive like your entire academic existence, and then you step out of the you step out of the building, and then you're like, "Wow, what do I do now?" And there were like mm-hmm. a bunch of us. Like there, it was a particularly bad year for freshies, I think. But um, we were all like kind of self-absorbed, and I remember just thinking, um, "This is a mistake, you know? Like, it's it's some it's some cosmic mistake, and um, your peers will tell you as much." 나방 you know, the mortality rate here is very high. You know, it's really, like, difficult. Maybe it's not cut out for you. And so that was, that was the overwhelming feeling I had when I failed out of the College of Law, that there was something wrong. Like, it wasn't me. Like, I did, I did everything I could. It couldn't have been me. I was, I was, like, I convinced myself of that, Navarro. There's, like, some cosmic misunderstanding. I was supposed to make it. How very wrong I was! <laughs> <laughs> oh, so very wrong. So, um, looking back now, you know, with hindsight, the truth was I absolutely did not know how to study law back then, mm. ten years ago. Like, um, I was used to, you know, I I, I thought I thought that. Given my background, since it, I, I took up political science in Ateneo and then I took a master's in it, I had a very academic background. So, like, if I approach law with the same rigor, with the same enthusiasm, it would, you know, it would it would turn out OK. And, you no, know, it was like a different animal, you know, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was nothing like nothing could have prepared me for it. I really feel like nothing could have prepared me for it. So here we are. We hit rock bottom. So that was 20, 2012. 2012 first SEM I was already out like I remember uh, staying on until like the second SEM midterms and then after taking the midterms for second SEM I was like oh no (laughs) this is not gonna happen (laughs) so I processed it very quickly and I had to I I processed it very quickly and I had to talk with my parents Uh, hey guess what I got a surprise (laughs) for you guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a very hard conversation, like, um, of course, because they've never been used to failure as well, like, um, it hurt, it particularly hurt, because, um, again, my, I was never shortchanged of anything, you know, I was given the best conditions to study law, and, you know, it c- can't help but feel like one threw it all away, so, yeah, and so, finish now, and... I had to I had to exit before the midterms because the aptitude exam for Ateneo law was like sometime around that that time. So like there was like a last day to take it. So I took it. Um, I decided to take it because I felt like I had unfinished business with law. Again, because like I was of the frame of mind that this was a mistake.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that was like my first, my first error. My first error. And you below was thinking, oh, I was meant for this. Because, like, ever since I was a kid, people told me, you know, <laughs> you believe it long enough. And if you believe it long enough, you're going to start thinking you're entitled to it. That's, that's what I thought. I felt like, you know, this was meant to be all I got to do is show up, <laughs> <laughs> show up and just do my own thing. Just, nya, nya, nya. Like, if I bomb resets, that doesn't matter, because end of day, I've got this down path. And mm-hmm. they straight up said, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that was a very humbling experience, like, to fail that, that way. And okay. so I picked myself up, you know, again, still just utterly convinced. Some misunderstanding happened in the universe. I tried again in, uh, in Rockwell, and that's where we met, you know. And yes. I was in Ateneo. that was those were, those were really good times. So, new block, you know, like everybody everybody that I knew who had taken up law was like a year ahead of me now. Like, they were like a year mm-hmm. ahead me. And I was like, I'm not, I'm undeterred. So, I think from that period and like my entire stay in Ateneo, I just had blinders on. Ateneo was great, if only because. Again, I studied under the best circumstances, you know, like, and I think when you reel from failure and you're like in denial, you have a tendency to just blame everything and everyone around you. Like you externalize the failure, like it couldn't have been me, it couldn't have been me. <laughs> That's the, that was the, that was the general feeling. And so, um, Atenello was also hard, you know, it, it, it's never easy. It's never easy. It was also hard, but, you know, I had a little more experience. And so that kind of played out to like a great advantage. And same as as the College of Law, um, we had great professors who were like very invested in, you know, teaching us and had all of the grades. You know, we had Father Bernas, we had uh, Dean Said, we had CLV, so, I got I got to experience all of that, but again, like it was starting again. Like it started sometime second year, first sem. Mm-hmm. Second year, for sem. Like I failed another subject, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then I failed another subject, and I was like, "Oh no, it's happening again." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't laughing then. I mean, it was very stressful, and I remember just like crawling through the appeal process, just thinking to myself like oh my god what, what am i doing wrong this time like i really thought i really thought this time i had it i had a down path um i think there in when i was when i failed out of ateneo law um i couldn't i couldn't externalize anymore
2: mm-hmm. like
1: i really needed to take a step back and think is this right for me should i pursue something else you know like like what what am I trying to prove here? Like I don't even know I don't even know what the practice entails. Uh, and just to highlight like how much I don't know, um, we had a teacher back in, in UP and he treated us to like a lunch, just like a simple lunch in the school cafeteria. And he just wanted to get to know us, like get to know the students and like what they planned to do, what kind of practice they wanted to get into, why they got into law in the first place. And that was I remember very I remember very well that that was the very first time I felt like I didn't have an answer. So I had, I had no real reason to be here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had no real reason to be here. And I think he sensed that. And I think he gave really good advice. And his advice was, um, there's nothing wrong with quitting. Nothing wrong. And of course, like, you know, when, when, you're, when you're in your 20s, you know, yeah, you say that, but I'm never gonna have that problem. <laughs> Looking back, that was that was fantastic advice. It was so good advice, and you know it. Even if like during my really like really dark times, that advice just constantly comforted me, knowing that you know I could, if I wanted to, there would be nothing wrong with it. So yeah, Ateneo Law was was particularly a hard failure to take. It was, it was really hard because, you know, like, if you fail once, you can blame the weather. You know, like, you can blame all sorts of things. If you fail the second time, the same thing, where you should know better, that's when you start to, like, you, I did the exact opposite. Like, I started internalizing everything. Like, oh, everything was my fault. Everything was totally, totally my fault. I, I don't know if you know this, but um, my, last, my last official day in the law was... During summer, the start of the summer semester of second sem. So there's mm-hmm. a lot, of, there's a lot of like math involved, cause like so like the start of the second sem, um, I had to do the exit process again. They would give me the transcript, had to give up my ID, you know, and again stepping out of a building with your entire academic existence in your hand. I remember. On that day, it was like a really hot summer day. And what I did was I walked from Rockwell all the way to the north park in like Makatiya. <laughs> I just kept walking. I just kept walking because I didn't know where to go. Like I just kept walking, like Lubum Pasaun and poblacion Lubum Pasaun and Jupiter, all the way until North Park. And it wasn't until like I was at North Park where I was like, what what am I doing here? <laughs> Let's get an Uber. I got an Uber because my Uber panel. Yeah, and that was that was really that was really harsh. That was a really hard hit to take. So this was like 2015, 2015, um, and 2015 I was really down in a slump, and um, my friends basically just kept me occupied until like a job offer came. There was like a mm. job offer. That, uh, and the
2: job offer so. was
1: um the job offer back then was um it was to be a a writer for a presidential campaign and i figured i could keep busy at the time it would keep take my mind off things it'd be a refreshing change of change of scenery so i told my i told my parents because i'm always i always have these conversations with them um i want to put a pin on like studying law first like, I need to take a break. And I just want to say that to be able to afford a break, even if it was to get a job, I mean, that's not something many, many law students have. So, you know, it was, it was a, very, it's a very fortunate privilege, I'm going to say. Like, I've met enough law students throughout, like, my studying to know that for a lot of them, it's all or nothing. Like, the, the margin for failure is just non-existent. Like, they just, just, they simply can't. And so, if they experience the same failures, it just, it hurts so much. It hurts so much. But I took a job. I took the job because, um, frankly, I needed to, I needed a win, so to speak. Like, I think I, think I was, yeah, right? Of the, so the campaign, um, since I needed a win, <laughs> I worked for the presidential campaign of Secretary Mar Rojas. Because I really needed a
0: win. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: I'm sorry, so, if you put
0: it like that. It's just so hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So like we
1: had a failure, and then we had another failure. And so to, to, to break the chain, we're going to work for a presidential campaign that also failed. That was such a hard failure to take, too. But, you know, the different, it was, it was such a different world. Such a different world from, from what I was used to when you're studying law, in, either in Ateneo or in UP, because there was so much. You know, I thought, since what I was applying for was, like, to be a, a field writer, um, I thought it would be, like, you know, preparing statements, preparing speeches. Actually, the work involved a lot, a lot of legwork. A lot of walking around, a lot of being in one place, being in that place. And I picked up so many, like so many life lessons in that job, even if it was just like for about nine to 10 months, it was, it was such an eye-opener. I learned from that job that our country is so big. It is, it, it is an insanely big country. Like it looks like a tiny thing in the map. No. There are there are places that I have been to because of that job that I would, I would like in my wildest dreams I'd never visit. Um, my very first deployment was in Magindanao, and like the mm. the ampatuan massacre was like pretty fresh, like it's still pretty fresh in people's minds. And so when I was packing my bag, it was like my very first deployment. My parents were like, where are you going? And I was like, Davao, I'm going to Davao. <laughs> Technically true, because we had to like, we had to take a plane to Davao and then we would be escorted to, to, to Maguindanao by the army. And we had to get there at a certain time because um, when the sun goes down, they could no longer guarantee our safety. That was exactly what they told us. Like, please don't be late. Because when it's we not happen. And I'm like, that is some hardcore stuff right there. <laughs> <laughs> some pretty really hardcore stuff. So that was that was a really fun. It was a really fun job. It was really very you get to get to meet so many people, you get to meet so many people in that job. And um, when, when the campaign fizzled out, I'm just gonna give you the short of it, but we can get into it like later. When when the when the campaign finished, um, most of the staff they started taking like Jobs in local governments, you know, like congressmen, the mayors, because, you know, there's still a need. There's still a need for, for bureaucratic operations. And so here I was again, like I, the thing that I had put on for 10 months, I'd put a pin on, I didn't really know what to do. And, you know, it was, it was upon the urging of, of an ex-girlfriend um, who said, you have to finish, you have to finish law. And I was like, why? <laughs> I'm clearly not good at it. <laughs> but she convinced me. She said, you have to finish, love. And if you're going to quit, you can't quit losing. You know, quit while you're, while you're winning. That's, that way you know that it's not because you can't make it, not because you couldn't hack it, but because it's just not for you. So I thought, okay, she's got a point. So we tried again. And I enrolled in San Beda, Alabama. And this was already like 2016. 2016. And after four years, graduated. Four long, arduous years. I was only supposed to be there for two years. Mm -hmm. Three years max. Because they credited... um, subjects from my previous law school. So I thought, you know, it would be the most economic because my sister back then was still in high school in Alabama. So, like, on my free days, I could, like, pick her up. It'd be good for the family. We'd save a lot of money. So, yeah, but that took four years. And here we are now in Barreville. Mm. Not, not going so well.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, uh, say wait. Considering like how long your journey was, man. Like, where's your head at? Like, well, I mean, it's probably the worst time to ask you. Uh-huh. Like, in the thick of bar view. But uh, what's what's the feeling? Is it pride? What would you say is the dominant emotion or mood right now?
1: Uh, I would say, I would say nerves. I got, I'm really nervous, mostly because um, so so many things about this bar exam is so different you know like not just the digital but like the testing sites are different and um the cost also is is a big concern like um it, it's 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 a little prohibitive the, the bar i mean it was explained naman why the the bar fees that high. it's 10000 pesos for the exam so it was explained why those why it had to be that high and you know we have to get tested um
2: mm-hmm.
1: pcr at each bar weekend and there's also the fear that we might pick up COVID-19 while taking the exam during the month and if you take it you're you're just flunked out like you have to take it again next year it's, it sucks so much it's like I'm <laughs> sorry it's a lot of things like I'm, I'm on top of like the fear of like having to go through all of the materials reviewing studying well doing well in the exam there's like the additional fear of getting COVID-19. And then you also know that, like, you know, we're still desperately vaccinating people. So nervousness is, I think, the chief. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. Um, mm. But it's like, it's a good kind of scared because, you know, we're past law school now. <laughs> yeah (laughs) it's a much it's a much better kind of scared i would say that that is the dominant feeling Mm.
2: yeah
0: well the the bar exam is a is a trippy thing man like uh, i remember when i was when i was going through it i didn't even get like half a read done when i was reviewing just because i was you know dealing with some stuff at home right so it didn't help at all that my nerves were so bad because of like how little progress I was making with my review. But, you know, he told uh, told me before the start of this podcast that he's well into his second read, and he's about to embark on his third, so he's probably way better prepared than I am. And, hey, I'm a lawyer now, so he probably will be one, too, in uh, in, a, in just a few months. Uh, but, Lairon, you you actually have a very unique perspective, right? Uh, because mm. you actually went to three different law schools, not just any three law yes. schools. You went to like three very good law schools right so maybe you could tell us a little bit about like how they are and like how they differ
1: um well let me start with like how they're all the same
0: okay Uh, all of them are
1: the same in that the the professors teach law in a way where you could never imagine it like you know, you'll read all of the books, you'll read all of the handouts, you'll read all of the reviewers, but because they're the professors and they teach you and you have to do recitations, you'll still learn things that way. As much as I, like, I have, I have to gripe about the Socratic method and how law is taught. I can't deny that it works. <laughs> I can't. I really can't. I remember um, when I was in when I was in Alabama, um, in insurance class, we were like, we were like splitting hairs about this one provision. And like, we've all read the book. It was like the one class where everyone was super prepared. Everyone had read the book, everyone had recitations. everyone had different views. And our prof was just sitting there just laughing because she knew the dilemma we were in. And then after everyone had decided, she was like, actually the answer is in a unpublished court of appeals decision. And I'm like, how are we supposed to know that? <laughs> that's what I mean, right? Like, they have they have experience. They have like they have a perspective about the law, which marries like the academic and like the practical. Like, I I mean I would like to think I would like to think that's what lawyering is all about, right? you, you marry the theoretical with the practical, and you make it work. So that's how they're all the same. Um, they're different. I would say in the student cultures, very different. Um, I my my memories of UP law were that they were very competitive, um, and there was this sense that you were in a classroom or in a batch, you were studying law with the very best of the best, like from all over the country, and if you didn't if you didn't come there. If you didn't get inside UP law because of, um, you know, academic, like, sheer academic brilliance, but only because if you had access to, like, better, a better academic background, or better, you come from a better socioeconomic background, so you could afford a better education. That, there was, like, this, there was this sense of, like, shame, I would say. Not not even shame, but na because you being there meant somebody else who was more qualified was not like given a slot, you know? So everyone was always pushing, everyone was pushing so hard, to always do their best, always show their best. It was a very it was a very competitive environment. Um and law, I wouldn't say law was more relaxed. I feel like that's a, a that's an unfair assessment. That people usually make when they compare like the two different student cultures. I feel like in Ateneo Law, since there's more time and there's more, um, I would say space. There's more space to explore law in a different way, to study law in a different way. More is expected. Something that I did not find in either in any of the other law schools that was always in Ateneo Law was to always consider um, the point of view of. Of international legal practice, you know, th- th- there was always this emphasis that you know you have to look at this from the broader context. Like it's you can't just contain yourself to our laws when you know the legal practice is quickly globalizing. And in Sanbeda, um the difference was there was there was a kind of there was a kind of I would say. An emphasis on on memory work and memory I, I, have, I have a terrible memory like I'm the worst example for like memory work but I learned to use it by brute force in Zinveda. <laughs> like there's just some things there's just some things that that mere understanding will not do mm-hmm. like, I, I get it I get that especially in, in, in Atania law we were taught this na, don't Focus so much on memorizing. It's more important to understand. There is an advantage to just memorizing blocks of text, you know.
0: Like,
2: it, it so wait, does. Uh,
0: help uh, exams. Sorry, Laird. Just to jump in really quick. So, can you uh, explain what those memory work, uh, what that memory work looks like? Because I'm a professor in a law school here in Cebu mm-hmm. now. And I hear about what they do in Zenbeda to get you guys to remember. And that's not something we it's not something we generally do here. So if you could explain a little bit. yes. Yeah. So
1: um, We've had seminars in Zenbeda where they would invite um, speakers who would talk about the memory room technique. It doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for me. But the, the theory is that for every single thing that you have to memorize, you think of an object. Like, for example, there's uh, this cell phone. And then the cell phone is in, like, on top of a table. And then table, the word table and cell phone, if you put that together, it creates a mnemonic device. So it's, it's kind of like that thing. You create a memory room. It's a mm-hmm. trick that works. And it'll allow you to memorize, like, large swaths of text. But I learned, like, from my stance in better, to be very, very, very strategic on what I'm memorizing. Like for example if i was if i was in in torts class important to memorize article 19 20 21 of the civil like get that get that to memory so that you could cite it you could quote it it's something that you can write in an exam if you were in um, civil procedure grounds for dismissal i mean there's only four now but back then when i was studying there was like a lot so memorize mm-hmm. those. so you just got to you got to be strategic and i wouldn't say that there was like one technique that you know will work it's really important to find what works for you. Um unfortunately what works for me is like brute repetition, like just really saying it over and over again in the shower while I'm eating, when I'm watching TV shows. You just gotta say it over and over again. So I try to avoid it because <laughs> I hate doing it <laughs> even if it's necessary. But yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And not only that, um I'm gonna say Sanbeda was very particular in our grasp of fundamentals. Fundamental stuff. Like, first year law school stuff. Like, you got to know your obliquo and you got to know your family law. You got to know your consti. Like, if you have a grasp of the basics, you can just work your way up. So that was... Because I, I, I like to think, both in the College of Law and at the NEO law, it's presumed that everyone is brilliant. So if you made it through first year, we are going to focus on second year stuff. And then when you're in third year, you're going to focus on third year stuff. But when I was in Sinbedo, do we're in third year, but we're talking about first year stuff. <laughs> we're in fourth year, and we're talking about, and it's like, it's the same way. Like, you know, we're going through the nitty gritty. And it was hard. It was so much, like, one would think it would be easier, but it got harder because you know more now. So now you're mm-hmm. even more careful with the stuff you say, right? Like, now you have to qualify. Now you have to correlate.
0: Uh, so actually, what's what's something that's interesting though, and that people often take for granted about uh, the law school experience is how much law school intersects with Philippine politics. You know, because uh, with uh, with being in law school, that's probably the rawest understanding of the way politics functions in the Philippines. You know, it's it's literally just where the gears are and which ones turn and which ones turn other gears and how they might interact with each other, right? Uh, What is uh, your view of Philippine politics from the perspective of a law student, right? Um, You know, having all this knowledge, having an understanding of perhaps how the system should work and how it might fall short of that expectation.
1: Well, um, let me start by talking about my views when I first started, like when I was in UP law and my views now. When I first started in UP law, I thought if I take up law and go to law school, One of these days, I'm going to sign the Constitution. (laughs) That was the idea. Like, you know, I'm going to be like a founding father or something, or like a constitutional framework. That was like the aspiration. Why? I don't know, because it was great. So, how very wrong. (laughs) How very, very wrong. And now, um, you know, we see everything that's going on. My view now is that we need to get back to the rule of law. That's that's my view, like um, politics is very unpredictable, it's very unstable. But the laws only relation, I think the laws only relation to our politics today is that it's the bare minimum, you know. This is this is the rule book. It's the rule book that we have all agreed to uphold and to abide on. And so. If we can pin people on the bare minimum, we can work our way towards a better way of doing politics. So my view is that um, we have to stop creating like, specifically legal solutions to obviously political problems. Right? Like, you and I both know the law has limitations. Like, we can't just make illegal something we, like, we don't like today. Like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that For example, like, oh, you know, today we don't like the color red because the, red, the color red represents bad stuff. So red will be illegal today, now and forever, until we pass. And that's not how law works. Um, You have to balance everybody's interests. You have to give everybody due process. You need to have, like, hearings and committees, and there's, like, a whole process. And then even after you have the law, there's, like, the burden of, interpreting it, of like implementing it, you know, of watching it grow while it's being implemented, giving it a budget. And so, you know, there's, there's this popular thing that, you know, it, it's a pop thing, I think, that most people say. They say, we have beautiful laws, but um, we don't, we have terrible execution or terrible implementation of our beautiful laws. My view has always been if they have terrible implementation then they were not beautiful laws in the first place <laughs> mm-hmm. cuz one of the one of the principles of a good law is that it should be complete concise and leaves no room for any other interpretation if there's something wrong with the way we're implementing it then there was something wrong with the way the law was crafted mm-hmm. i don't know that's that's my that's my that's my take on it there's only so much law can do but We got to do it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because if you want to know what happens when people abandon the rule of law, all you got to do is like turn on the news today.
2: (laughs) Uh,
0: So, Leiron, the thing is, uh, you know, you come from this political science background.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: You have you got a master's degree and uh, you pursued the study of law. So. Do you see yourself uh employing the knowledge you now have to uh, in the political arena? And not maybe not as a politician, but like as a technocrat or a bureaucrat of some kind. Is that something that you see yourself doing? Or uh how do you marry the the interest you had when you were in your undergraduate with the interest you have in your postgraduate? Um
1: I don't think I I think I've yet to be qualified to um discuss how we can improve our political systems with, like, laws. This is just, like, that's just, like, a, a general theory that I, I, I keep to myself. I think that we should craft better laws so that mm-hmm. people don't doubt it. But as to, like, mm, as to the field that I'm interested in, um, I think more attention should be paid to, you know, the, our human rights. Again, it's the bare minimum. It's the bare minimum that everyone has to respect. Um, and um, political science in college was was a was a very a very theoretical experience. Like the education was the education was framed to emphasize theory and uh, quantitative research. So um, my my biggest takeaway from my college education was to always look at the data. Always look at what the hard facts say. And to always interpret it in a correct way. You have to, you have to tell them what the numbers mean. You have to tell them what the numbers mean. So um, policies are very important. And this was something I picked up when um, I was working in the campaign that um, policy matters very much. There are people who pay attention. Like a big number of a good number of people make informed votes. You know, it's not but like the in the back of our minds we're always thinking, Oh come election time, whoever's the most popular is going to win. And having been having worked in a campaign, I can I can say people give a lot of thought to the people they vote for. Like they don't vote for no reason. It's not it's not as it's not as simple as we think it is. That's something that that's something that I would not have picked up if I didn't uh, try out for the job and also I would not appreciate it if I was not, if I didn't have a background in political science because like I looked at the numbers, like, they showed us all the numbers, they showed us all the charts, how the votes were distributed back in 2016 across the country and it made sense. That was the, I think the first shocking thing about 2016 was that it made complete sense. Mm-hmm
0: if you could If you could walk us through that though, because that's a particularly interesting point in your life that I'm sure a lot of my listeners would like to hear about like what what was it like to campaign on behalf of the administration bet? you know mm-hmm. like is that like w- what advantages did that have? What disadvantages did that did that have?
1: Okay, well, apart from the obvious advantage of money resources um, that um, an admin bet has. I think one advantage that most um, most people don't take into consideration is just the advantage of a network. Like as an as an administration candidate, like we had access to to a uh, to a very impressive network of um, people, of leaders, of civil society, of local politicians all over the country. You know that's uh, that's one. So that we can expect that in the coming elections uh, in 2022 from whoever the admin bet is going to be. Like, you just, you just kind of, you, you, you've got a lot of ears listening, listening on you. You know, a lot of, a lot of very important people give you their time. That's one advantage. And the other advantage is that um, you have something to show for your platform. Like, all of your opponents will mostly have a campaign platform based on promises. But you will have a campaign platform based on promises plus results, which you can show, which you can point out. But that being said, no continuity candidate, save for Marcos, has ever won our elections. Like it's never happened where it's never happened where somebody ran on a continuity platform and won. Except for Marcos, if you count that. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's, it's very unsettling. And um, I guess another thing that I can also share with your listeners is that as far as campaigning timetable goes, the campaign timetable now is pretty late. It's pretty late. Normally, like we started informally campaigning, like, like soft campaigning maybe about April, May, you know, just like sending stuff out. And we're, we're in August. And we don't really see a lot, do we? Like, there are no like big events from anybody. I think it's also because of um, COVID nineteen that prevents a lot of the a lot of the traditional ways that you reach out to people. Which is, you know, you visit them, you visit them, you spend some time with them, you get to know what their problems are.
0: So yeah. You have mass gatherings.
1: Mm, yeah, mass gatherings. Just, there's no mass gatherings. Supposedly, no mass gatherings.
0: Mm So uh, but the this whole uh, climate that we exist in now is particularly difficult to deal with. Uh, so what uh, insights do you do you glean now? Like having having gone through all four years of law school, does that deepen your political understanding of the way the Philippines works, would you say? Or is it is it is it? actively getting in the way, because, and this is me sharing my personal opinion on the matter, right? I actively find it harder to engage in politics now because my, the responses my brain supplies to a scenario are so black and white.
1: No, we, it, it's harder than that, Rami. Like, ha- I have a hard time too. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's so different from what it was like back in 2016. And mind you, like in 2016, like in, t- in the 2015 campaign leading to the 2016 elections, we were already having the hard conversations about uh, Mayor Duterte running and what was problematic about him. It was already hard then. And it, it just kind of got harder now. I think mostly because people are so deeply entrenched. You know, People are so divided. People are so trapped in, in their own perspectives. Both, like everyone, everyone is, every, Pro and anti people are, we've we've kind of been corralled into these things. And my greatest fear, my greatest fear for um, 2022 is that the vast majority of people who had registered to vote in order to vote uh, Mayor Duterte to the presidency would just not show up on 2022. That's my fear. My fear is that because it didn't work out the way they imagined it, they would just quit. It would be just be so much easier to just keep quiet on the matter. And it doesn't help for me, if you ask me, it doesn't help that um, the very first response they get when they go online or when they talk to their friends or their family members, and you know, they, they see their president not doing so well, the first response they get is like anger and hatred. You know, so it's a very, it's a very for lack of a better word, it's a very toxic environment we live in for conversation, I feel. Mm. So it's really hard. Yes, it gets in the way. But we have to do better. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, what's going to happen in 2022? We have mm. to do better. Uh,
0: so l- let's, let's reel back a little bit uh, mm. later on. So uh, we were talking about politics for quite a while. And like frankly, I think there's very little that can be said yeah. to elucidate uh the state of politics in in the Philippines right there's very little <laughs> that is profound from any yeah. of the insights that <laughs> we might uh, uh, decide to unleash on into this recording uh but uh th- let's go back to the original reason why I wanted to invite you on this podcast mm-hmm. because you you encountered what is possibly some of the most devastating uh failures Like I'll just use the word you use, uh, that a law student could possibly encounter. You didn't do it once. You did it twice, right? Uh, Three law schools. Three law schools. Three law schools, yeah. Uh, What advice could you give to someone who is in your position, right? Because I'm recording this episode essentially for those people.
1: Mm. Um, Well, first I'm going to say the failures were hard. They were very painful, but by and large, from all of the people I've met and have had like the privilege to study with from like different schools, I wouldn't say it was like the most devastating. Like, and that's when you learn people go through very, very different struggles and you never really know. Like you never really know until the very end um, what sacrifices they make in order to just show up every day and um so the first advice actually i wrote this down (laughs) because i feel like it's important advice um i feel like we have to normalize the conversation about failure um and not just in law in life like in anything because um there's there's a considerable number of um I think it's a popular notion in our, in our country's culture where we, we're a little hush-hush about failure. Like, we don't like to talk about it. We, we like to think of it as, um, you know, we have to hide it because we can't let the neighbors know that we slipped. But, you know, we're human beings and people slip all the time. And so um, failure will teach you things that successful not. That I learned. Um, it will teach it to you in a way that you were never going to be prepared for, but it's going to be like the effective lesson. And if you don't learn it, you're just going to fail again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so effective, because it's not going to give up on you until you learn the, the, the lesson. So um, failure was, um, is a great teacher, but painful, a painful teacher, but a great teacher. So the number one lesson I, will, I would like to teach you is you have to be normal about it. Be okay with it. Be okay with um, failing. But more important than being okay with it is that you got to do something about it. Got to do something about it. So it, My number two advice is that if you're going to be okay with failure, make sure you profit from it. And the best way to profit from it is to ask yourself the hard questions. Do I still want to do this? Is this fulfilling me? Is there a reason why I'm sacrificing? Or do I just have nothing better to do? And number three, my number three advice is after you confront those questions, you make a decision and you stick with it to the very end Um, because it's very easy to change your mind. Everybody does it on a daily basis. I mean, on the big and the little things. But I would like to think, um, especially in in the legal profession and in your studies in law, that being as good as your word is a great asset. You know, I think if your peers know you to be the kind of person, uh, if you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and you do it, it creates a, a reputation for you. That's what I think. And my number four advice is that study. Study very hard. <laughs> <laughs> study, study hard. But this is qualified. I mean, I'm going to say something that I think gets missed out. Because everybody tells you to study hard, right? But also, you need to study in a way that suits you. Like, it, it is very, very, very tempting to study the same way um, your friend studies. But that might just work for him or her. You know, it might not work for you. And that was a mistake I made repetitively. Like, I mimicked what my peers were doing because, well, for one, I didn't really know what style worked for me. And number two, um, I was too afraid to take a chance in myself, to take a chance in my own style. I thought that I wasn't, since I wasn't good enough, I can't study the way I think is right. And... You know, maybe, maybe you have a good study habit. Maybe your style is, you know, you study every day. Or maybe your style is much like mine where, you know, you go for weeks not reading anything. And then, like, on the day before the exam, you read something. It's, it's terrible. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, um, and number five, number five advice is always remember that there's no shame in quitting. That's the advice that my professor gave me when I was in UP law. There's no shame in quitting. Um, there's no shame in living a different life and imagining a different life. Um, but just make sure that when you quit, it's on your terms. Quit on your terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't quit because you can't hack it. You, know, don't, you, have, you have to be able to say, like, that's really just more for you. Like, if, if, if exiting is your plan, I would like, and I'm sure, I'm sure Rami would also like, um, for you to quit with no regrets. Like, you're never going to be stuck, like, at home drinking thinking, oh, you know, I wonder what would happen if I took the bar. Like, no doubts. Zero doubts. Um, and my last and final advice is um, work hard work like different from the studying is also like to work hard sometimes to make it you have to do the things that other people won't that other people can't you have to be that person because that will spell the difference between passing and failing it truly did like i literally saw it like i was there (laughs) i went with you know i i i went on man like I went on dinners that I shouldn't have been able to afford. I went on dates that I really didn't have time for. I, you know, marathon TV shows when I should really have been studying. And it took a toll on me, you know, and um, part part of these efforts of normalizing a conversation about failure is that sometimes you also have to listen to advice from people who Tripped several times. And me, like, this is just my personal opinion. I find the advice, um, I find advice from people who have gone through the struggle, who have failed repetitively and gotten back up. I find it so much better than um, advice from people who have succeeded. Because success is so, you know, success is, is so one dimensional. There's only one way you're gonna succeed, right? Like, okay, here in our context, if you graduate with honors, that's the only way you're gonna succeed. There are many ways to fail though. <laughs> <laughs> so many ways. And in each, way, in each way, there's a lesson. So yeah, that's, that's as much wisdom I think as, as I can give. Um, oh, there's a quote, I, wanna, I wanted to share a quote. Um, uh, it's, from, uh. it's from Calvin Coolidge, he said, and you know, this is, it's, it's on my study table, I've kind of like tacked it there, and it's been there ever since um, I started in Zambela. It's, uh, nothing will ever take the place of persistence, right? Uh, talent will not, because the world is full of talented people who have never been recognized. Genius will not. Because unrewarded genius is almost a metaphor. So persistence and hard work alone are the ultimate key. That's Calvin Kovich.
0: Okay. Okay. Wait, uh, uh, no, it's a good thing you break up the, uh, the, the, the quote that hangs above your desk because uh, that's what I'd like to ask you about next. So you're thick in the bar review right now. You're, you're in the middle of it. You're in the thick of it uh what are you this is a this is a particularly surreal experience that most people in the philippines will be forever ignorant about like they will they will see the fanfare in the newspapers they may even catch a glimpse of usc on the day of the bar exam right and they will understand that it is something of fanfare but very few people understand the amount of work that goes into the months leading up to the bar exam so maybe you could describe to the listeners to really and this this really underscores the point like i think right the the gravity of everything we were saying before about this whole process of getting through law school right Mm. because it it all culminates in the bar exam right and so a person who is naturally afraid of failure and not not being able to make it through must understand that at the end of law school even if he does finish it is yet another ordeal which is arguably just Mm. as bad or worse than all the four <laughs> years combined. <laughs> it's worse. It's worse. Okay. Um, how can I best describe this? Um,
1: so in law school, you have an entire semester. Let's say one semester to study one subject. Right? So that's about six to seven weeks, right? For just one subject. And then that subject will have like recitations, we'll have a midterm exam and we'll have a final exam. And then if you pass that subject, you know you qualify for the next tier of that subject, for the next topic of that same subject. And when you get to fourth year, you kind of get a taste you do that until your third year, and then when you get to fourth year, you get a little taste of what review is like, where a class that normally took you, um, one whole semester will be condensed in like two weeks. Two weeks. And you need to know it. You need to know it in the same degree that you were supposed to when you first encountered that subject. And then after you graduate, you have like about what? Four? four five months to compress it all in your own time with your own materials and to deliver that in an exam or you take it with, well, for now, I think we're gonna take it with like 16,000 other people. (laughs) (laughs) So the pressure is to perform. And um, I never really knew, I never really got a taste of what what the bar exam was like until I was in San Beda. Cause like up until like UP, Ateneo, whenever I would like take an exam, my approach was always so academic. Because I come from an academic background. Like, oh, you have to demonstrate the answer. You have to like elucidate. You have to. uh, It wasn't until I was like under Dean Harris' Civ Pro class where the limitation for the answer to civil procedure was two sentences only per answer. Just two sentences. And if you answered with a yes or a no, that was one sentence. What am I going to (laughs) do? (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah, that was, that was fun. It was fun because it really forces you to think, oh, what's essential? What, like, I really have to answer the question. I really have to pluck out the issue and then satisfactorily answer it. Uh, if you let me, I'll, I'll share another uh, test-taking experience. Um, yeah. my, my very last um, test was actually during pandemic not last year. Um, Commercial law. The very last exam for Zimbabwe was commercial law. And the whole time while I was studying for it, while I was reviewing for it, in the back of my mind, there was like a little voice telling me, hey, if this works out, this is gonna be the last law school exam you take ever. So like that stopped me dead in my tracks. I'm like, we're not gonna think about that. We're just gonna keep studying. And um, at this point, um, a lot of professors were experimenting with like, software with like websites that hosted you know uh, taking exams but our professor was a the great attorney Zara and attorney Zara did not want computerized exams so she wanted handwritten exams per in albeit at home you know because it was like pandemic so we had to like create a setup where we had one device watching us while we took the exam and another advice where we would another device where you would read the question from like a powerpoint that was streaming so you couldn't look back at the question it, it felt like it felt like the final boss of exams that's what it felt like like okay it's time to take the exam under these strange conditions so you would handwrite it scan it on a computer attach it to an email and send it that was per answer <laughs> that was per answer and she proctored it like she had she had her staff proctor, like, an entire batch of seniors taking commercial law review. And it was so hard because, you know, everyone had to have their mic on. Everyone had to have their camera on. You know, there were dogs. There were chickens. There were tricycles. Because, you know, everyone comes from a different place, right? And there were, there were parents knocking on, like, another student's door. And she had to remind them, I'm taking an exam. I mean, it was, it was so hard. It was, it was the hardest exam I had ever taken. And so what I did was, you know, I had, I, I had to clarify everything while it was a like question season. First, can we um, can we make a draft of the emails? Because there were like 10 questions. Can I make 10 email drafts already open in a separate computer? They said yes. And I was like, second, can I ask help for like scanning? Because we only had like a minute to scan and like another minute to send it. it was It was on time. And if you didn't send it, your, question, your answer wouldn't be counted. So I had to answer then at the same time do that. And I remember like when I had sent the last one, you have to get back to the proctor and ask, are all of my answers sent? So I emailed the proctor and say, uh, ma'am, na, send po lahat ng answers ko? And then she said, yes, okay na, thank you. And I remember just closing the laptop and then just crying. Like I cried so hard. Like it felt like I, it had occurred to me throughout UP law, throughout Ateneo law, and throughout the times I failed in San bed. Also, I had never cried, and that's when I felt it. It was just so, oh my god! Like I think it was like a whole fifteen minutes of just, just <laughs> sobbing into the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and then like I stepped out of my room, and then my parents were like, "What's wrong with you?" And I'm like. If things work out, that would have been, like, my last exam in law school. And they're like, when do you find out the results for graduation? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to think about it. (laughs) I found out, like, I think three weeks later, I was was working outside. Like, I was, like, cleaning up. And then I got the news. And I think I woke up a few neighbors. Yeah, that felt great. So (laughs) success is one-dimensional.
0: A million ways to fail. (laughs) (laughs) okay uh well and this is is the way i cap the this is usually the last question i ask for the podcast man uh where do you see yourself in five years so you're at this incredibly let's say precarious in the sense that you know you're about to take the bar Mm -hmm. uh but it's also one full of possibility and so there's very many directions that your life can take let's assume everything goes well with the bar exam and you take the oath as a lawyer, right? Where do you see yourself in five years? What will you be doing?
1: Um, litigate practice. I always felt like that was um, the path that I was going to take. Um, it was it was the path that interested me the most. It was because I feel like that is that is like um, the legal practice best summarized. You know, like um, you provide help for people. Um, who have trouble, um, dealing with or understanding with our legal system, and particularly human rights has always been like my thing. It's always been something that I was, I've always wanted to take up because I feel like not enough, um, not enough of us get into it. Not enough of us are fighting for it, and understandably so because it's such a dangerous environment now. And if I could like contribute something, just just to help make it a little safer, you know? Like, I, I, would, I would consider that a victory. I feel like, um, again, you said, um when it comes to like the bar exam, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of uh, glamour surrounding it. There's a lot of glory surrounding it. And you're right, people don't really know the struggles that, um, Most people go through, but everyone has a law school story. Even you, Rami, you have a law school story. Everyone has a story of going through the daily drudges and, you know, it is easy to forget why we started in the first place, but I would like to think I got into this because I like helping people and I like helping people. And um, if there was just some way that um, it would, it would lead to helping somebody, I think it would all pay off. It would all be worth it. If it meant um, guaranteeing human rights for people whose rights are in danger, I feel like it would it would have been worth it in some way.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And on that on that particularly hopeful note, I want to thank you, Laron, for coming on my podcast. It was wonderful to walk through your law school uh, career, and I'm sure all the listeners who who will tune in will uh, take many lessons to heart.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ram. It's a great opportunity to to help uh, help everybody chill out a little when it comes to like the pressures we impose on ourselves, and we really have to. I feel like we really have to start normalizing our conversations about, you know, not making
2: it about failure. So, thank you, thank you so much. Like, I'm more than happy to share it.